Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the SA Voice Podcast. We have a really special um, episode coming up for you today. I'm excited about it. We get to reconnect with some friends, um, and two of them are here today joining us. Welcome, Elle, and welcome, Terry, to this episode. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Leighton, as per usual. Awesome. And um, Terry, thank you so much for joining us all the way um, from your island paradise. How are you doing today? Good, good. It's a beautiful day here on the island. Um, yeah, I was out. I took a walk along the shore a little bit earlier today, and, and it's very nice. There's no, not much of a breeze, so the water looks very inviting, but it's still, still early in the season, so I don't really know that I want to dive head in head first just yet. Go for a little polar bear dip. Which island are right? you on, Terry, just for those who don't know? Amherst Island, the best one. I'm so jealous. Like I've been dying to have a lake in my backyard for three months now. Well, um, you're a big fan of Lake Ontario, aren't you, Al? You, I know you used to, or you do routinely go and and take it. Yeah, I always swim. I always do a polar bear dip, um, like kind of spring, like in the beginning of the year. Usually my birthday, so like April, early April, I usually jump in, which is freezing. And then yeah, I love swimming in the lake. I don't know. There's nothing better, I find. Like, pools are great, but there's nothing like the lake. Yeah, it's really refreshing. The water is really refreshing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was just going to say, once things open up a bit, we'll have to come have a beach day with you, Terry, for sure. Um, Definitely. But, but on that note, um, give us a little update how Amherst Island is doing, faring with uh, the virus. Um, I know everything has been shut down and you guys were restricting visitors. Is that still in place? And what's the general feeling amongst the population on the island right now? So aside from the fact that like we have a large vulnerable population here on the island, our, our population tends to be a little on the older side here, but um, the separation, the physical separation from the mainland certainly has made us feel more secure. And having that, you know, like the ferry in between um, and just also having a, a pretty mindful population, like everybody's pretty aware and everybody knows everybody. So you know that you have a vulnerable population here. So we've all been pretty, pretty careful. And being a small community, it also enabled us to help with uh, early on in the process when we did have people who were away. We had, there were about six or seven households on the island who kind of got trapped or were away when the pandemic started. Um, so what happened was a group of people got together and basically as people were coming home would go and buy quarantine groceries for them, bring them, leave them at their homes. So just to facilitate, to make it easier for those people, particularly who are coming overseas to be able to just go to their homes in quarantine. So we've been able to really, um, right from the very beginning, have a good system for that, which helps to keep everybody sort of calm and make sure that you feel secure in your community. Mm -hmm. But we're also taking it very seriously, um, which is, I think, important. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely important. It's really nice that you have such a close community over there and that you do those kinds of things for each other. I think that's really great, especially nobody expected this. So it's nice that you all, all of you just popped on and decided to support each other. So I think that's really great. Yeah, and that's kind of the Amherst Island way. So it, it, when I say it out loud, it sounds exceptional and yet not that exceptional to me you know what I mean like it's kind of that of course we would do it that's Amherst Island but at the same time it's also pretty awesome that people who are coming 
from far away. Like we had uh, the last person I think to get back to the island um, was actually trapped in a country in South Africa for a while. Oh, um, wow. And she had travel plans and then they got canceled on her and she thought that she may not be able to get back from there for some time because as she was on her way to the airport, they had somebody who had been in the airport who tested positive. So they just clamped down on everything. Um, and then a few days later, she was able to get a flight back to Canada, but like her, none of her plans had been like, it was all very ad hoc her coming home. Um, and she was going to arrive in the middle of the night, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was nice to be able to know that she was able to just go home and not have to worry about how do I get groceries? How do I, whatever, having been away for literally months, um, mm -hmm. doing work in South Africa. Um, so, you know, that was just kind of awesome that that all just kind of was in place and kicked in, uh, for her to be able to do that. Yeah, definitely. That's great. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I love to hear those kind of stories and that message just about you guys. Well, not you guys, but people in general being empathetic towards one another. It's so needed right now. Um, and definitely this time of year when things start to get warmer, the weather's nicer, we start to look towards the things to get outside and kind of soak up some of that lovely sunshine. Um, which brings us to the topic of today's podcast. I know Terry is an avid gardener. Um, I know your family has um, some acres on the island there and you guys plant a variety of things. Um, and today we have some questions for you surrounding, surrounding that topic. Um, we are hoping we could delve into your world and talk a little bit about some of the best things for amateur gardeners to plant in terms of either foodstuffs or flowers. Um, Al, do you have any kind of specific ones that you kind of want to hear about? Um, well, I mean, that's hard because I am the worst gardener probably ever. So, okay, I have a question before before we get into it. Terry, I want to know like all the plants you have because I know that you have like endless amounts of plants. I think you said hundreds or something. <laughs> but yeah. do you think that it's true that some people have a green thumb and some people just don't and will never, like can never have a green thumb? Because I feel like I try my best, but at the end of the day, I'm just not that person who is like super amazing at growing things. Well, I think it's all learnable. I, uh, I definitely think that there's nothing that, there's nothing about growing that is like truly innate. I think some people maybe are, tend to be better at it than others or, or whatnot. And that could have be the way that you were brought up around plants or not or whatever. Um, but I, it's all just technique. Um, and so I think it can all be learned. Um, yeah, because there's just, to be perfectly honest, people ask me where I have got a lot of the knowledge that I've got. And the real true answer is that I've killed a lot of plants. Um, <laughs> that's, that's how you learn how to garden is by trying something and it works or it doesn't. And you just learn not only from what works, but also from what doesn't. When you mm -hmm. try something and it fails, that's a lesson in that. Like just this year, I have had to replant my uh, corn seed a couple of weeks ago because the entire first batch of corn seed that I planted I got one plant literally one single plant that came up out of thousands of of corn seeds that I put in the ground and I'm still not a hundred percent sure on what it was that I did I suspect just from the evidence that I planted it too shallow and birds were able to eat the seed um, which is not something that I've ever had happen before, but I did know while I was doing it that I was, that the, 
machine that I was using to plant the seed, I have a walk behind cedar, was not planting it as deep as normal, but I thought I was okay. Um, but I suspect that I was wrong. Um, and I should have got off the, or I should have changed it and, uh, and uh, planted it deeper. So the second batch I've now planted is planted deeper. So we'll see how that, um, how that works out. Um, so, you know, I mean, having gardened for as long as I've gardened, I still make mistakes. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a good piece of advice. Honestly, it makes me feel better that you've killed plants. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, Lots. Lots of them. <laughs> is corn a staple for you, uh, for you guys planting, or is that something that you would only plant every couple years? No, I plant it all the time. The plant, planting the corn that I plant, which is sweet corn, um, is a challenge because um, it's not like field corn like you often see when you drive along the highway that's planted for for cattle or livestock to eat. This is sweet corn that would be uh, sold in a roadside stand that you would use to make corn on the cob with. Um, and it's a challenge to grow for gardeners. It's definitely not one that I would recommend for first-time gardeners or starter gardeners. Not so much because it's difficult to grow because the corn plant basically takes care of itself if you get the seed to the right depth. Um, but it's a huge attractor of pests and mm. predators that eat the corn, not predators, but you know, raccoons in particular love sweet corn. Um, and so you have to have some kind of a mitigation system in place to keep them out of it. And I use an electric fence for that. Um, but that's definitely something that you need or else they'll just eat all of it. Yeah, it sounds like you need more space for that too. Like, I don't think I would have a very good luck just planting in my like suburban neighborhood backyard. <laughs> so that's a really good point. In a lot of cases, it's important to think about if you're gardening, sort of that return on investment that you get for your space and for your time and for the money that goes into it. Um, and that's one of the things for novice gardeners, I think, um, is to try either what you know you can grow or what you really like or what you can do a lot of in a little space. Like in a small space, you can grow a lot of carrots. You can grow a ton of lettuce. You can grow lots of green onions or radishes or any of those things, but you can't grow many potatoes. Um, right. So there's a few things like, for example, potatoes, which in the grocery store tend to be fairly cheap. They take a, quite a lot of space to grow in the garden. So those are one of those things that again, very easy to grow potatoes. Not a lot of pests on potatoes. There's a potato bug that, a little beetle that grows on potatoes, but you can mostly just either squish them or pick them off and throw them across the yard and the birds will eat them. Um, <laughs> but that space economy that they require oftentimes makes them less attractive as a, as a crop for small, smaller or new gardeners. That makes sense. Is, is there any plants like in your, in your professional opinion that you would recommend like first time gardeners to grow or is it just kind of try something and see what happens? Um, grow what you like uh, mm -hmm. is for sure what I would say. Um, but yeah, like some of the things that I mentioned, green onions, um, lettuce, um, radishes, radishes in particular, because radishes in four weeks from the time you put seed in the ground, four weeks, you've got radishes, right? Same with lettuce. They grow so fast that you get that return on investment. Right. But then there are also some things that are a little bit more of a challenge, maybe, or that take up a little bit more, more space, like tomatoes. But there is something really rewarding about growing a tomato plant, like a tomato plant that's full-sized and growing and producing tomatoes looks impressive. The tomatoes that come off of it, just picking that ripe tomato 
off of the plant is very satisfying. Mm -hmm. um, and so those things I think have a real value to them as well um, from, the, from the fruit that you get from them, but then also just the feeling as a gardener of having successfully grown this thing. Hmm. That's a good piece of advice. I will say uh, one thing I can grow for sure is lettuce. And I think, I think this summer I'm just gonna stick with that starting off small and then next summer I might try and dabble. I like the idea of carrots too. It sounds like a good idea. So there's a couple of really neat things that you can do even if you've got very little space. Um, a lot of those things that we think of as like garden vegetables can be grown in containers too. Mm -hmm. um, one of the neat things that I, that I grow and that I share or sell at market when I, when I sell things um, is what I call a salad pot. Um, which is literally lettuce and radishes and carrots and green onions all planted just kind of in the same pot together. And they look kind of cool um, and they all sort of have around the same um, time for maturity. Carrots take longer, but uh, your lettuce and your green onions and whatever last pretty much the whole summer long um, because you can cut them and they regrow. Uh, so you have yourself this one little pot that's a salad pot that can feed you for the whole summer long. Hmm, I like that. I'll take one. <laughs> yeah, I love that idea. Just kind of a one-stop yeah, shop. It, exactly. And it's really, I think, um, to me, those are a really nice way of showing people that you don't require acreage to be able to garden, that you mm -hmm. can do it on a small scale. And, and whether it is pots of herbs on your kitchen counter or whatever, that act of growing is rewarding. And you, again, going back to the learning aspect, you learn from that and that can help you build the confidence to be able to tackle some of the other things um, that you can grow in the garden that might take a little bit more skill or whatever. But once you know that you've got some of those basics that you've learned how to time the watering and do this kind of thing and how much light it needs and whatnot, then that gives you that confidence to be able to move forward onto the next thing. Yeah. Um, that's great. Those kind of, those kind of plants and stuff are, are so economical, economical, excuse me. And that's kind of what my next question is. Um, we're focusing on the urban neighborhoods, not a lot of area. You've, you've said things, um, that grow there require a, a little, little less space, which is great. Um, my question for you is what, what plants, um, or vegetables should people with limited space focus on? You mentioned how potatoes aren't really worth it. We've all heard the old wives tale of uh, tomatoes, you know, spend money on seeds, wait five months and you save $3. Is it really worth it? Um, and what kind of other plants do you think the urban gardener should focus on? Um, so from a truly, I guess if you want to look at it from only the scientific side of things, then you want to go with stuff that is space economical. You go with your lettuce, carrots, radishes, um, those root vegetables, beets, beets are another thing because you can eat the tops and the bottoms of beets, like you can eat the whole plant. So that's a really good thing. There are some things that are really um, durable, like Swiss chard. If you maybe are someplace where you have a lot of heat, like in an urban garden where you're surrounded by concrete and lettuce doesn't like a huge amount of heat, so it will tend to bolt, you can grow something like kale or Swiss chard because those produce in abundance, but they are not, they are not as sensitive to the heat. Um, so you'll still get a crop where your lettuce would have gone bad by that point in time. Um, so there are things like that. And, uh, and, but I do think there is value in growing some of those other things like tomatoes, even 
even if you grow them for the feel good, they may not be like you said, the wives tale of the fact that you wait five months and you save $3, which is a little bit true because for most of us, when we garden, the time that we have our tomato crop is the same time that everybody else has their tomato crop as well. So if you can grow tomatoes in January, that's one thing because nobody else can grow tomatoes in January, but everyone has tomatoes in August. Um, so those are some of the other things that you, that you um, come up with, but I think that it's still um, worthwhile to, to tackle some of those things. But yeah, going, going to the other stuff is that just that stuff that's space economical, just the, the small stuff and then the stuff that's heat loving yeah. for an urban area. Especially right. in urban areas. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's talk soil. What kind of soil and fertilizer uh, would be good for our amateur gardening guests to kind of try out and use? Is there a good um, mixture or is it just kind of throw manure on and see what grows? Well, that works. So there are a few different ways of looking at soil. Um, one of them, when I talk about gardening in groups of people, one of my favorite things to do is to do like an actual soil test right there. So what you can do is take a mason jar and take a, a scoop of the soil from your, from your ground, put it in the mason jar, fill the mason jar with water and put a lid on it and shake it so that it all mixes up into just like a mud milkshake. Um, and then let it sit on your counter for a day or two and then look at it. And what you'll see is that the layers of the soil will stratify. And so at the bottom layer, you'll have the finest uh, grain stuff, which is your clay. In the middle, you'll have the um the middle layer which is um what's the word for that i've lost it anyway um <laughs> loam and then at the top is the sand and so that's how it will stratify out and so ideally you would want a third a third and a third uh for that for the best sort of quality of soil um but uh you know so that that's a good way to test your soil and then you would basically add what you needed in order to try to get to that quality. But there are other things that you can do if you've got heavy soil, like clay soil or whatever to plant in. Heavy soil that you can, you can use things like um, long radishes, like daikon radishes that have a long um, root on them, or carrots to actually bust up the soil. So if you grow carrots for a few years, they'll dig down into the soil, kind of like working their fingers into the soil and break up the soil for you so that over time, you're improving the quality of your soil. And of course, always organic matter, putting manure or whatever into your soil is always going to help um, just improve the quality of the soil. You wanna make sure that it's good aged manure or something that you've got that's like either maybe a prepackaged thing if you're coming from someplace where you don't have access to a manure pile um, because fresh manure like manure that is less than a year old that hasn't had time to age will actually burn is the quality is the term because it's a chemical burn the roots of your plants because it's too rich Interesting. I feel like I'm in like grade five science class again. We are learning about soil and things like that. Burning manure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just the layers brought me back. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So yeah. what would you recommend for people who like live in an apartment but they want to grow some like fresh food or like plants or something? Because, and me, for example, like I'm in the basement. So my plants, can't necessarily always get that much light. 
So it's hard. I'll try and like keep it by a window, but it's harder for me because I don't get as much as like, there's no backyard. If I was in an apartment, there would be no backyard for me to just put my plants outside. So what would you kind of recommend for that? So um, going on that from like a basement, sort of no access to a backyard. Um, if you had a balcony, balconies are great. Mm -hmm. um, the, a south facing balcony or a west facing balcony is better than north or east but anything works. Um, uh, and again, the brightest window that you can find. Mm -hmm. um, but then going with plants, herbs are something that you can often grow in with a little bit less light. So you might not be able to grow a tomato or you might not be able to grow a pot of lettuce inside without having that natural light. But oftentimes you can grow herbs fairly well. There are also um, indoor gardening kits that you can buy on Amazon where you can get either ones that use actual soil or ones that use water as a sort of a hydroponic system mm -hmm. um, that will allow you to grow with, uh, with um, an LED light over top of them. And those are really helpful um, to be able to give you a little bit of a space to grow just on your kitchen counter or something. Um, and then some of the other things that you can grow indoors without a lot of light are some of the more fringe things like you can grow celery inside um without a whole lot of light um which is probably not something that a lot of people want to grow um but it's something that will grow inside yeah. or green onions are another thing that will grow great sort of inside without a lot of light um but a lot of those things that we think of when we're gardening do require a fair amount of light and and uh, so they can be a challenge but herbs are a pretty good go-to hmm. good to know <laughs> i love it so and Carrie, a little bit of sorry i was just gonna say a little bit of supplementary light like you can get a small light off of amazon for not a lot of money a small led bright light white um light that you want you want 6500 kelvins if you can get it as close as you can get to 6500 kelvins for your light um and that goes a long way hmm. you can put one of those over top of your light indoors and get a lot of get a lot of um of good growth out of that um, so my next question was, um, along that line, in terms of watering, is there a good mixture that you kind of subscribe to? Do you use miracle Grow, or do you think simple, simple town water supply is enough for the average gardener? Um, if you're container growing, you're going to need something because the soil in your container is going to, your plant's going to uh, use it up because it's not sort of part of that continual renewal cycle. It doesn't have the things like earthworms and whatever that are working in the soil to really help um, regenerate the soil over time. Um, so yes, I think that it's important to have something, an additive to add to your soil if you're going to. You can use miracle Grow if you want. Long-term use of miracle Grow does have some downsides. I, I'm not a super person who's opposed to miracle Grow, but the, the um, fertilizer that's in miracle Grow is dissolved in a salt. And mm -hmm. so over time, that salt will build up in the soil. Um, and so that will eventually lead to sort of a toxic level. It takes a long time. Like it's something that you would have to be using the same soil for literally years um, in order for that to, to begin to negatively affect. But there are other ways that you can um, create your own uh, food for your for your uh, 
plants at home. You can use, for example, old tea bags and coffee and your, the coffee, your used coffee. You can soak that in water and make kind of like a weak tea or a weak coffee to help use that to feed your plants. Um, people use what's called um, manure tea, which is taking manure and again, diluting it in water. And then you obviously have to strain it off a little bit, but, that, but those chemicals from the manure or from the coffee and the tea will leach into the water and will create that nutrient mix that you're looking for. You can do anything, basically anything if you wanna add it to the water. You have to watch because sometimes it'll get a little funky if you let it sit for too long. But like you could do it with, if you've got some place where you can get some like grass clippings or whatever and let them soak into the water for a little while or anything, just anything that you're adding to the cycle um, to help for those plants that are growing in a container. Hmm. Nice, that sounds uh, interesting. Thank you for those tips. Um, hopefully some of our viewers are able to get some good stuff out of that. So Terry, uh, what's in your garden right now? What do you have focusing on besides the sweet corn that you're excited about? So one of the things that I haven't planted for a few years that I've gone back to this year, partly because it's something that I love to grow and partly because it's, uh, we're so far having a warm season and it requires a warm season is sweet potatoes. Um, growing sweet potatoes in Ontario is a bit of a challenge uh, because they require a very long, very hot season. Um, so I got my sweet potatoes early and I got them in the ground as soon as I could. But I'm really excited because I like sweet potatoes for a few reasons. One, because sweet potatoes are delicious, but also mm -hmm. sweet potato plants are just gorgeous. Uh, sweet potatoes, if you don't know, are in the morning glory family. Uh, if you know what a morning glory, the flower looks like. Yeah. Um, so they get morning glory flowers on them, on the plants. And they're, they get these long vines with beautiful, I grow two different kinds. And one of them is this, this emerald green color and the other has like red veins through the stems of the plants and they're just gorgeous. In addition to, again, at the end of the year, you get the sweet potato, which is a nice thing, but I really do love, I love the act of growing the plants too. They're another one that's a huge challenge to grow because they're, um, I had it explained to me one time that sweet potatoes are basically like candy to deer and we have a lot of deer on the island. So again, I use a, an electric fence to keep the deer out of my garden. Um, because I don't want them to eat my plants. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's to me one thing. The other thing that I also grow, which again, this goes to the, um, back to the learning and failure and, and, and whatnot, um, thing is I also grow artichokes in my garden, which are not a sort of common vegetable grown in, in Ontario. And mm -hmm. one that I, again, with the sweet potatoes and the artichokes are not necessarily something that I would recommend for somebody who needs their space to produce. Like I grow them, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work. Um, but they're a fun thing because artichokes only produce the second year and we can't overwinter them in Ontario. So you have mm -hmm. to, I plant them in December and then put them outside in about February or March in Ontario um, to let them get sort of like a fake winter um, that tricks them into thinking that they're two years old and then oh. they grow. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I've grown artichokes now for about seven or eight years and all but I think two years, I've managed to get at least a few artichokes um, from them. Sometimes it works really well. Like this year I have a good feeling about it because mm -hmm. our season worked well, um, which I don't get to decide. It just is one of those things where mother nature has to be 
you know, on my side in order to make this work, but I still always try it because they're fun. And again, I grow a lot of these things also because they're pretty. Um, the artichoke is in the thistle family. So they get these really nice purple flowers that grow on them too, which is really nice. So. And that's nice. I cannot picture a sweet potato or an artichoke plant. So I'd be very interested to see a picture of those. Yeah, the sweet potato plants right now are not too impressive. They're just these green things that are about, I don't know, two or so feet long, sort of starting to vine. Um, but when they start to flower, the flowers on them are really something. And I will definitely sh share that with you because they're really quite long. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love nice. that. That's I also awesome. want a sweet potato because I love them. They're delicious. <laughs> Definitely. The two different varieties that I grow, one is called Beauregard, which is basically identical to the sweet potatoes that you get in the grocery store. Um, so they're very similar, the orange skin sweet potatoes or whatever. The other one is called Georgia Jet, which is actually developed for growing in sort of more northern climates. And it's purple, which is kind of cool. Um, so it's a kind of a neat, neat looking potato. I like the name too, Northern Jet. That's cool. Right? <laughs> Did yeah. you say northern or Georgian? Georgia. 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 Georgia okay. gotcha. Better. Even better than northern. <laughs> right? There you go. Awesome. Well, that sounds fun. So, um, Terry, what's, what, what are you growing right now that's in your fridge that you're eating on a daily basis that uh, you would recommend? That's from the garden? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of the salad stuff. It's mm -hmm. lettuce, it's radishes, it's that kind of stuff. Um, and I also do a little trick. So one of the things that you're supposed to do with carrots is you're supposed to thin them once they, uh, in order to help to produce the crop. But I tend to let my carrots grow a little longer than I should and then pick them when they're just little teeny tiny and mm -hmm. then use them in salads. So they're not like, they wouldn't even be as big around as a pencil. So they're just little tiny things, but you can still cut them up. Um, and use them in a salad. And then you're not just picking them and throwing them sort of to totally go to waste. Um, it probably does um, impact the total yield of the garden over, over time, but it's a, a you know, trade-off that I'm willing to make. So there's that. Um, yeah, overrun with spinach and lettuce right now. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of spinach and lettuce. We're, we're doing the salad thing at basically every meal. Yeah. <laughs> And Terry, you don't have to name them all off because I'm sure there's a lot, but how many roughly plants would you say that you have? Yeah. Like different kinds of vegetables? Just plants in general. Like even oh, flowers. Well, I, and <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, just as a number wise, I planted 450 tomato plants. Wow. Um, so I have a lot of everything, but in the garden, there are... 40, I think, different varieties of tomatoes hmm. um, from like, I have like five or six different types of cherry tomato alone, um, just different colors and different shapes and whatever. Um, I, I couldn't even guess. So the last <laughs> time I did an inventory of my seeds, of my different varieties of like just writing them all out and uh, putting them in a spreadsheet that's like, this is the days of maturity. This is when you plant. This is when you do that. This is when you do this. It was over 270 different varieties of, of um, plants. Everything from like, cause there's multiple different varieties, right? Like everyone knows green zucchini, but zucchini also comes in yellow, right? And so there's different peppers that turn yellow, turn orange, turn red, some that are, grow faster, some that grow bigger, some that 
whatever. There's the regular old eggplant that's just a purple one to ones that have these stripes on them that are really lovely to ones that grow long and skinny. And I, my thing, because I am very, very lucky in having the amount of space that I have is I just choose to grow all of them nice. <laughs> um, because I just like to grow them. And also in a lot of those things, again, this goes to that be willing to try and to fail is that like all of them, tend to want something a little bit different. And those are not always variables that you can control. So especially with the peppers and stuff like that, some of them grow faster, some of them grow bigger, and they take different times. They want different amounts of heat. So I can't control all of those variables, but if I grow three or four or five different varieties, one of them is gonna like the season that we end up with, mm -hmm. right? One of them is gonna like the amount of rain that we get, the amount of sun that we get, the amount of whatever that we get. And so I know that I'm going to get something out of the garden um, right. by doing that. And over time, it gives me enough information and data to say, okay, this variety has produced more frequently and this variety has produced less frequently. So maybe we don't grow this one anymore. <laughs> um, so, you know, and that's where that trial and error comes from. It's unfortunate living in Ontario. We have a nice long season where we are in Kingston we're fairly lucky because we do have a fairly long season compared to some of the other people in Ontario. Well, we only get to try this once a year. That's, that's the part that always gets me, right? Like all of these decisions are made for me, at least when there's still snow on the ground. Yeah. And then, you know, by the time this time of year comes, we're committed. I've planted what I can plant at this point in time. And if I think, if I look at something and go, oh, that's not really going to work out or, oh, that's not really going to happen. I got to wait. Until next, wait year, until next year in order yeah. to be able to try this again <laughs> so. so do you keep a spreadsheet of all that information of what's good to plant what worked last year or is it all all up here no up here doesn't have enough room for that <laughs> <laughs> no i uh, i am a very faithful note taker i have clipboards that i have with printed off spreadsheets that basically every time i go to the garden i take my clipboard with me just so that i can make rough notes of like whatever it is even sometimes if i have a, a certain particular time when like right now i'm watching my cucumber plants very closely because it will be very soon that the bugs for cucumbers the cucumber beetles will start to come out and will mm -hmm. be getting them but i will want to record the actual date that i see like the first one and the actual dates when i like see the peak and the drop off of those bugs so that next year and going forward i have all of that information to tell me okay this is when i should be looking this is when it happened versus like the weather and whatnot and so all of that information again that is probably not necessary for most people who grow it's fun i like it it's fun but because i grow in or in with the intention of selling some of these vegetables it to me is important to have that data and part of it for me comes from the fact of like this green book that you can see right here on my shelf was my grandfather's and he wrote the weather uh every day for since from 1975 until the day that he passed away um so i have all that information from our from our property um that says you know when the frost was when it was heavy rain when it was drought when it was whatever so i can go back and track those trends so when it comes to things like the first frost or the last frost date or the first frost date uh, in our season we have sort of the general in Kingston, we're in what's called zone 5B, or Amherst Island is possibly in 6A, depending on how you 
uh, look at it from Environment Canada. Um, but rather than look at those dates, I know actually right in my yard what the real numbers are over the past 40 years. Um, and that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So being able to just collect that data is, is really helpful because you can make even better decisions with more information. Hmm. That is awesome. It's really cool that it sounds like it goes very far back in your family that, you know, gardening and, and everything that you do is a big thing. Um, My grandfather was a big gardener and that's where I learned most of what I know um, that I haven't learned from killing plants. Uh, <laughs> I learned from my grandfather. Oh, that's great. So what, what's your favorite thing about gardening? Like 100% favorite thing. Um, Sticking your, walking barefoot through the garden or sticking your hands in warm dirt. Just mm -hmm. right now, if you go out into the garden and just dig your hands into the dirt or get down on your hands and knees and you're weeding. I was weeding carrots the other day and that is a horrible job because carrots are so tiny and, you know, and the weeds and the carrots are basically the same size right now. Um, and so, so it's finicky, but that, that truly connecting to the land physically and sort of emotionally and spiritually to me is the favorite is my favorite thing um you you can i sat in the garden and smiled in spite of weeding carrots which is one of the jobs that i hate um to the ends of the world because that being in the garden and feeling the sun on your back and the warmth of the soil and and whatnot it's just it's just really great it's just a wonderful thing to be able to do i love that me that's, too uh, yeah, that's so true. I think we can all agree that there's something there. There's definitely a spiritual connection with people in the bare earth. Uh, it's definitely worth getting your hands dirty. Um, my last question for you, Terry, what's your favorite vegetable? What are you, what could you only eat if you could choose one for like a month straight? Yikes. Yeah, I was going to say that's probably a loaded question. A, a week straight. So man that's a tough one probably <laughs> green peppers mm. i would have to say mm, carrots are such a close second <laughs> i love carrots but probably green peppers um i'm just thinking now it, the this is the thought process so the thought process for me was when i stand in front of a vegetable tray what do i eat until it's gone Smart. and it's the green peppers nice. um so yeah but all like all of it i am a huge fan of broccoli i f i think broccoli and cauliflower both are such versatile and underutilized vegetables um mm -hmm. but the green peppers are the ones that i would also say that for me the green peppers are the ones that i am most disappointed if they don't do well mm -hmm. everything else like there was a few years ago where i got no cucumbers basically out of my garden at all and i could not have cared less um, I'm not a cucumber fan. I grow cucumbers for uh, basically for other people. It didn't matter to me. But if I didn't get any peppers, I would be hurt. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, Terry, uh, I just want to thank you again for your time today. I think you've, you've really imparted some awesome knowledge on us. I know I got some tips coming out of this. I want to go plant uh, maybe some lettuce if there's still time in the season. Um, but again, thank you so much for your time. This was great to reconnect with you and see your face. Uh, definitely makes me miss you guys, and I can't wait to see you come the fall, socially distance, of course. Um, but again, thank you. Um, I'm looking forward to it. We'll, we'll hopefully some of our viewers got some great tips out of this. Yeah, and you actually made a really good point that I kind of wanted to mention earlier, but I'll mention now instead. It's not too late. Um, 
There are lots of things that you can start growing. As I mentioned before with the radishes, four weeks, that's all you need in order to grow radishes. The same with lettuce. And if you are growing them someplace, the, the, the important thing is to just know or be willing to uh, experiment with how you're growing them. Lettuce doesn't want to be hot right now, so plant it in the shade. Plant it someplace like against the fence in your backyard that only gets sun for a couple of hours in the afternoon or whatever to protect it from that scorching heat or whatnot. But you've got tons of time, tons of time. You're not going to start pumpkins now. It's that ship has sailed, but you can grow, you can grow lots of those things. We still have, where are we? We have July, August, September. Yeah, we still have 90 days left in our growing season. So yeah. you've got lots of time to grow lots of things. And, uh, and I encourage everyone to give it a whirl. It's a couple or so dollars for a packet of seeds, put them in the ground and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you say that because uh, I know it is being the middle of June. I was worried that this episode should have come a month ago for our growing period, but happy to hear you say that. And I'm sure some of our listeners as well who want to try their, try their hand at gardening. So thank you for the tips. Yeah, thanks so much, Terry. It definitely helps me. I'm probably going to go to the store and buy some radishes after this. So. <laughs> for sure. Glad to. Love it. Okay, well, we'll wrap it up there. Ladies, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure to see you and hang out and chat. Um, Terry, thank you so much for the tips and uh, stay safe and we'll reconnect soon. Have a great afternoon, guys. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. And I have to say, this was a much less painful process than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I've been part of the podcast in one way or the other for a lot of its run, um, but I've never been on this side of the camera and that was good. So Anyone else who's out there who hasn't done this yet should try it. Yes. yes. You're natural, Terry. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Okay. Um, thanks again for your time, ladies. I uh, really appreciate it. Terry, um, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon.